John, welcome back to the podcast where we get managers fired. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We've done it twice with Girardi and Madden, and today we're going to talk about Tony Larusa. Will he get fired? Kind of recommended it today in my uh, story in the Post. I don't normally do that, so we'll see what happens. In that story of the Post, you also talked about the Cubs. We'll do that. The coastal superpowers, Dodgers and Yankees, the premiere of the Derek Jeter film, and of course, we'll open our notebooks on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to episode five of the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. I'm Joel Sherman. He's John Heyman. This is a podcast from the New York Post. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any place else you might do that. Uh, there's also clips of the show on the New York Post Sports YouTube page, so subscribe to that. And uh, we're on every Tuesday on these podcasts, John, and... Uh, People can find us, hopefully. And uh, if you were looking for me on Sunday night, I was at the premiere of the new film on uh, Derek Jeter. Uh, it was part of the Tribeca Film Festival. There was a party beforehand, and the film was at uh, Borough of Manhattan Community College's theater, which I had to get a yak and a Sherpa. I live across the street from it <laughs> to get there. And uh, look, I, I thought that uh, they did a good job, and I swear it's John, not because I'm in it a ton, uh, I was one of the talking heads, but uh, part of this, I think episode five, so there's going to be seven episodes, seven one-hour episodes, starting with uh, right after the Home Run Derby, which I think is July 18th on ESPN. What do you think about covering Derek Jeter? Did you like covering him? You know, I, generally I did. I mean, obviously he was very guarded. He didn't really let you into his life. Didn't love all the publicity, particularly anything negative. Um, he certainly didn't want anything out. I can remember one time we were in Tampa for spring training and there was a story uh, about this mansion that he was building on Davis Island in Tampa. And I just offhandedly, I wasn't interviewing him or doing a real estate story. I certainly don't know anything about real estate. And uh, I just offhandedly mentioned to him, well, that uh, looks like quite a house that you're building there. And I guess he took it like, you know, I was saying how much money he had and how he's spending it ostentatiously or something like that. And he kind of said, you know, it's really not that big. It's not, it's not, it's not like it says it's all that. So of course, being me, I had to see for myself <laughs> and I walked, I, I actually drove over onto Davis Island. Even us regular people can get onto Davis Island. Moat, where the rich crocodiles, people everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got past all that and saw the house. And it looked like an, amp, an airplane hangar. I mean, and not one at the little uh, Des Moines airport or small. small. It looked like the O'Hare airport hangar. It was enormous. So, you know, he just doesn't want anything out there that anyone can construe as negative. I don't think it's negative that he spent his money on a big house. Uh, nothing wrong with it, but, uh, you know, that's what it was covering him. I do think that he was very pleasant. He was available, and not every superstar is available, and uh, I generally didn't mind. Some people, I think, got under their skin that he wouldn't really give you his honest-to-goodness answers, untarnished answers, and uh, he liked things to be sanitized. As we saw, he, he started the Players' Tribune, which is very successful, but it's all 
positive information. It's all good stuff about the players that are on there. And that's the way he would have preferred it. So actually, as a player, I, I didn't mind it all. Later, when he tried for the Marlins and did eventually get the Marlins, I ran afoul with him a little bit because I took the other side. I wanted, I thought Jorge Mas, and I wanted Jorge Mas to get the team. I knew him from down there. He's a Latin businessman. I thought he was qualified. I thought he would do a great job. And uh, I suggested that uh, Moss should get the team. And Jeter, of course, didn't like that. I don't blame him. You mentioned uh, the Players' Tribune. They're one of the producers of this. Mm -hmm. uh, ESPN is televising it. It's run by Jimmy Pataro was part of this. He grew up a Jeter Yankee fan. Uh, Spike Lee's overseeing it. Grew up, you know, is a Yankee fan. Was he and a Yankee friends, hat? And, and, <laughs> yes, he was. And a friends with uh, Jeter, the director producer, grew up in the Bronx, idolizing Jeter and loving and still loving the Yankees. So let's let's just say we're not going to get too much either untarnished or unvarnished on uh, Derek Jeter in this. I think we'll get more. Look, I think we he went a little deeper in this. And, John, you mentioned covering him. I, You know, I use the term he was great at hiding in plain sight. To your point, he was available every day. And could I both admire someone greatly for sticking to a code and be frustrated at the same time? Because as opposed to a lot of players we deal with, I don't think either of us think Derek Jeter was not smart. He no, was smart, smart and insightful, yeah. and there was stuff that did not have to be salacious or back pagey where he could have taken us deeper inside his thoughts as the most uh, famous athlete in the biggest city in the world and inside the most important team, and he just wouldn't do it. And again, I admire it because he felt like, it's not that I won't touch the third rail. I'm not going to get within 100 yards of the third rail. And he was disciplined. I admired the discipline. Oh, amazingly disciplined and focused. I mean, determined. And there was a lot to admire about him. I, I felt covering him, and it bears out in his career, that he was the one player who cared only about winning and not his personal stats. And that maybe, maybe he was faking that a little bit. I don't know. He fooled me if he did. I and mean, I was there for a lot. Of, not as much as you. I mean, you were obviously there on the beat, probably at the beginning, baseball columnist the whole time. I was more of a national guy at some point or a general columnist and not necessarily covering the Yankees as much as you. But I think there was a lot to admire there. He was completely focused, 100%, cared about winning. And, I mean, that's really what the game is about. And he understood that. And you mentioned how smart he is. I, we saw that when he was a kid. I think in Fort Lauderdale, when he came to one of the spring trainings, he was a minor leaguer. And I think you, you probably won't remember this. I think we were talking to him and another player who was kind of on the cusp of making the major leagues. And you mentioned offhandedly how far it is from Columbus to New York. No, no not how far. I said how you cold it was. Uh, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll say the other player, bit. we were in the weight room yeah. in Himes across the yeah. street in the minor league complex. And it was like four or five minor leaguers yeah. and Jeter and Brian Taylor, you know, if you remember the former number one, yes. like, like number one pick were there. And I said, you know, Derek, it's cold in New York in April. And he said, it's colder in Yes. In Columbus, at that time, their AAA, right. and Brian Taylor said, why, is that because of the lake? Yeah. And, like, he didn't understand, and Jeter even was probably 18, maybe 19 at that point, yeah. kind of knowingly looks at us, right? Like, oh, like, yeah, I might be, and at that moment, he could have, like, pulled us aside and said, like, this is our number one pick or something. <laughs> but he never, never, never no. with a teammate. Again, the discipline 
was great. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly a lot to admire there. It's funny that I remembered it not exactly correctly. You had it <laughs> word for word. What happened? I, I think that gives I you I cannot tell you what I ate for breakfast this morning, John. Well, I understand <laughs> that. Um, but, I mean, that shows you how smart he was as a teenager and, you know, how disciplined and determined. And, obviously, that was a big part of making him a Hall of Fame player. We still haven't found out who that one person was who did not vote for him. It was not me. I will go on record here. He's already mad at me about the ownership thing, but uh, I did vote for him for the Hall of Fame. I thought he was, uh, you know, one of the greats of all time as a player. And uh, yeah, I mean, looking back on, I'd, I'd forgotten that it was Brian Taylor. And remember how ballyhooed, how herald he was as a number one overall pick. Jeter was the sixth overall pick. I think that was part of the uh, documentary or film that you saw, right? Yeah. Him and his it's in house. Part, it's a big part of part one. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be interesting. It was not as big a deal then. You didn't know which team was picking exactly when. If you're a player, you really didn't know exactly what was going on. It certainly was less money involved. But to look back on it, Phil Nevin was the number one pick, yeah. as it turned out, who's now manager with the Angels. And Jeter went all the way to six. Brian Taylor was number one. Left-hander who threw 100 miles an hour as a high school player and he never made it because he got into a fight. Obviously, not a good thing to do. Uh, he hurt his shoulder. I can still remember him hurting the shoulder. And, of course, at the time, we were told, not that big a deal. And he really never made it back to the major leagues. One of the great unanswered questions, you you know, if you still talk to people around the Yankees, is would Brian Taylor have made it as a great player? Because of the skill was great, the intellect wasn't. But, John, I, I want to say, I think you're getting really good at the podcasting thing. Because you gave me two potential segue avenues. Right. The Hall of Fame, which Tony LaRusa is part yes. of, and Phil Nevin, who's a replacement manager now for Joe Madden, who was already fired. You are just throwing it up at the net. This is going to be, if I wasn't talking about how smooth the transition it is, it would just be the smoothest transition. You wrote a column in the New York Post, uh, mm -hmm. as we're speaking, it was today, about things couldn't be better in New York. New York, right? Mets and Yankees. But things are not going well in the second city with the Cubs and especially the White Sox, who, as we speak, third place, 28 and 31. And the bellwether issue is the manager, Tony La Russa, who, you know, made some strange moves all year and a very strange one last week against the Dodgers. Why don't we start there? We're going to talk about both Chicago teams, but White Sox, what, what do you think of that that team? And more important, like, what do, what do you think about La Russa's future with the ball club? Yeah, first of all, let me say thank you to Mark Hale for allowing me to write about That's the Chicago. Sports We're uh, fairly provincial, understandably so, at the New York Post. Uh, most of our readers are Mets or Yankees followers, not followers of the White Sox, the second team in the second city. But I wrote about both teams, and obviously both teams are struggling mightily. My opinion, White Sox are the most disappointing team, and obviously the Cubs just disheartening the way they've gone about things. You would think that being with the Cubs, with all the revenue that they have, they would spend to try to win. And they kind of blew off this year, and we saw that being outscored 28-5 to uh, Yankee Stadium this weekend. I was there to see it. Uh, it is a sad state of affairs on the north side of Chicago. But on the south side, where you referenced, I rarely recommend that somebody be let go. And I don't like to do it to anybody, but particularly a Hall of Famer. I wrote in the column, he's arguably the best manager over the last 50 years. And I got some backlash. I, I read my reader mail, unlike you. I look at it, and uh, not everybody was happy with that. But, you know, at six World Series appearances, three winning World Series, Tony La Russa was a great manager. Obviously, we're not seeing the best of him. I think he's related well to the players, so I give him credit for that. He's 77 years old. 
The in-game strategies just aren't there. I mean, what he did with Trey Turner, I don't care if you're facing Barry Bonds, if you're, it's Babe Ruth, and right in 1927, you got two strikes on him. You got to try to put him away. You cannot intentionally walk someone with a one and two count. Made no sense to me, and I don't think to anybody else, but the reaction, I think, made it worse. He, as I called it, indignant gibberish. He, he threw out some stats that really were not accurate, Trey Turner has below a 200 batting average with a one and two count in his career, as you would expect. I mean, it's 197, I believe, better than most people, but that does not call for intentionally walking because Max Muncy's on deck. Max Muncy's a good hitter. He hits well against lefties and righties. He obviously had extra incentive. As you saw when he got the on-deck circle, he started to curse out. I'm assuming it was LaRusso, although he wasn't facing him. You know, I thought it was a moment where it really gave you a good picture of what's going on with the White Sox. Obviously, they're not hitting. Obviously, they're not playing well. That's the bigger issue with their losing record at this point. But if you're on that team, what are you thinking? What are you thinking when he's intentionally walking someone who's one and two? The players have got to lose faith at this point. Yeah, look, I think one of the untold stories last year, even when they were running away with the AL Central, is I don't think he has the clubhouse in Moss. But, you know, they walked away with the AL Central title last year in his first year back as the manager. That's not happening This year, and you mentioned some of the underlying problems. I mean, six lowest runs per game offense, seventh worst runs per game pitching. They're 25th in defensive runs saved. I mean, they're bad right now in every phase of the of of the game. Their minor league system has like there's like some star level, but they haven't done great depth. The front office hasn't filled in around that with the kind of quadruple A, extra side talent, etc. But at some point, your manager, I think, has to rally the team. And this is reminding me a little bit of Earl Weaver's second time in Baltimore. Did not go well. Joe Gibbs' second time with the with Washington in the NFL. Did not go well. Thomas Wolf was right. Sometimes you can't go home yeah. again. One thing I will say about their front office, though, it's not surprising the minor leagues aren't great there. Their team was supposed to be great at the major league level, filled with young, good young but players. Depth. We thought. Depth. Yeah. Like, you know it's going to be tested, John, over the full season. Right. You know, we both watch the Mets play every day. They're being tested, and yeah. their veteran manager, well, I think, is doing a good job in part because their front office gave them more depth. Yeah, one, I don't know if it was a mistake, or maybe it was, uh, that they made. Uh, they were one of the most healthy teams over a long period of time. And uh, the last couple of years, they have not been that team. They've been one of the most unhealthy teams. I'm not sure what they did or what they changed. Some of it certainly is luck, but to lose Jimenez, obviously Lynn came back last night. They've lost a lot of players. Crochet out for the year. Certainly the injuries have hurt and it would be nice to have that depth. But the bigger problem is they're not getting production out of star play- Grandal who had a 900 OPS last year. We were talking about how low his batting average is. Well, who cares about the batting average at this point? He was a really good hitter. Last year, he's been awful this year. Uh, Abreu has not been as good. And and to me, Robert and Moncada, they were expected to be stars at this point. And they're not big stars, at least to this point. Now, they've had some injuries as well, which hasn't helped them. Anderson also injury. So lots of injuries, but there certainly is underperformance. For them to be 26th in OPS, I mean, that's one of the most shocking stats. I mean, if you looked at that team at the beginning of the year, it should be a top seven offense at the worst, and the pitching should be better. They've been bad. I mean, I don't want to pin this all on La Russa. I just don't think somebody who makes that strategy decision should be managing at the major league level that we saw with Trey Turner. But 
the bigger problem, they're not performing. Yeah, you know, you mentioned stars. That would give us, a, again, another transition to the Cubs. I just wonder, is it possible that the Cubs won in 2016? I'm not saying, of course, they had exceptional players, but did all the stars align? Like, we're seeing when they try to trade all those players last year, the sport didn't love them. Joe Madden was just fired with the Angels. That never fired. I'm looking, Baez got six, what, what six years, 140. He's got the worst OPS plus in the sport. Chris Bryant... 7 at 182, not good. Like, And look, the player personnel moves out of you, that by the know, Cubs. You know, we know Stroman and, and, and Frazier. We, we're in New it. York. Did they not have an internet not connection get that. or something? I don't know what happened uh, there. Like, so, and Jonathan VR. Uh, it's VR, like they paid every, no attention to personality whatsoever. So, you know, luckily they're all on short-term deals. So yeah, well, they'll be well, uh, Stroman's on a three-year deal. That's Suzuki's true. on a five-year deal. He's got, you know, he got off well and got hurt. I just wonder, even in a weaker division there, John, do you see like a navigation way for them to get better quick? Well, they need to spend. It's yeah. the Chicago Cubs. They have a lot of money. Their revenue is huge. They've built around that park. Their owner, I believe, just tried to buy Chelsea. I don't follow soccer. I don't know you that mean he got downtown here. No, that, oh, the soccer team. That okay. might that might not be as big a buy as the soccer team. <laughs> um, you know, they have money and they are not spending it. I do think Suzuki will be good. I did not understand uh, Stroman. Uh, even if you give him a two-year opt-out, well, who's to say he's going to opt-out? He may be there the whole three years. That's not a positive for your team. You know, obviously, Frazier didn't work out already. They need to spend. They need to spend and to cover their mistakes. It's the Chicago Cubs. Their revenue is huge. They've already punted on a year and a half. they got to go for it next year. Yeah, Time to know, go. On the subject of huge, when you come back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, we'll be talking about the coastal superpowers, the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. John, I believe part two of the Jeter documentary is going to cover the 1996 and 1998 champion Yankees. And the 1998 champion Yankees have come up quite a bit in our town this year because the 2022 Yankees are off at 44 and 16. I think it's two games off of the pace through 60 games of that great championship team. Are we watching a great team every day in New York? You know, I think so. By happenstance, I've covered them a lot more than I've covered the Mets. I'm not complaining. It's been a pleasure. They've been incredible. You know, they lead the American League or the major leagues in runs, home runs, uh, slugging, OPS, um, ERA, shutouts, home runs against, on base against, whip. So of the major categories, they lead in at least half of them, 44 and 16. I mean, that is pretty good. and <laughs> That's all-time great. I will say they've played weaker teams a lot. The Orioles, they've played a lot. They've also played the Cubs, the Royals, and the Tigers. But you really can't argue with 44 and 16, all those signings they made. I mean, it's not just Judge who's been the MVP to this point. But, I mean, Carpenter's been incredible. And Trevino's been amazing. Cortez. Um, they just have a great, well-rounded team. And one I predicted to finish third, uh, frankly. Yeah. I predicted they'd play in the World Series this year in our preview section. Get back to us in October. But, John, I agree with you. The junior pageant portion of their schedule's done. Over the rest of this season, 46% of the games are against the teams with the best records in the American League who are not the Yankees, which is Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay, and Houston. 
46%, almost half their games left. Now, you know what good, really good teams do? They beat the hell out of bad teams. And the Yankees have done that. This is no, you play the teams on your schedule, and they've done that. When they've played the better teams, they've also played well. But it, I think it's about to get tougher for them. But, you know, at this moment, as we're speaking, John, we could argue they have the best rotation in the sport. They have the best relief pitcher in the sport in Clay Holmes and the MVP of the American League in Aaron Judge. If I'm just starting with those seven pieces, that's it would be hard yeah. to do poorly with that. They've gotten a lot of 1-26 to 26 contributions, yeah. and their great players have played great. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Holmes. You know, I talked about Carpenter and Cortez and all these pickups that they made. Trevino, they're incredible. Holmes... Uh, best closer to this point in the American League. I Obviously, Class A's been good. I always like Iglesias. Hayter may be the best in baseball, probably is, but Holmes has been amazing. But that rotation, that is really the separator, I think. If you look at that rotation right now, Garrett Cole is easily the worst pitcher of the five. $324 million, right? What a waste of money. No, he's um, been good. He's oh. been good, Joel. But of the five, he has been the worst. It was funny. I was talking about how good their team is and how good they're – all he talked about was how bad he was, he's been and how terrible he threw and how they picked him up. And, you know, he gave up five home runs. That was a bizarre happenstance, right, to give up five home runs to the Twins, a team they always beat, first three batters, Homer, they leave him in there because he's Garrett Cole. He ends up with five. I told him, you must have been tipping your pitches. You're, you're obviously a great pitcher. He said, no, they were right down the you know bleeping right. middle. He blamed himself, and he's beating him. He's, this is what we're makes We're still having high-level discussions They're, if we could curse on this podcast or not, but we'll stick with bleeping for now. Bleeping is okay with me, but uh, for him to be the worst pitcher, I think that's pretty telling. Yeah, you, you know, John, they've got a nice little cushion going. The other coastal superpower, the Dodgers, were tied, as we're speaking, last night by the Padres at the top of mm -hmm. the NL West. Los Angeles has lost nine of its last 13, I think. They're still probably the best team in the league. What do you think? Do you think they're going to have yeah. trouble holding off the Padres? Remember, the Giants actually won the division last year. You know, I go with the wind. So I'm liking the Padres right now. I did. We did talk about my bad Yankee prediction of third place, but in the playoffs. Uh, I did have the Padres making the playoffs. And National League, I, I think it's tougher than you do. You may not think this, but I think there are seven or eight really good teams. Two of them aren't going to make it. I'm counting the Phillies in there. Obviously, the Braves, who've shown that. Cardinals, Giants, and the Padres, who have terrific pitching. Right now, with DeGrom and Scherzer being out, I think Musgrove and Gore is the best one-two punch in the game. Musgrove, along with Alcantara, I think are the Cy Young favorites in the National League. Gore should win the Rookie of the Year going away. Incredible. I mean, just challenges guys. I mean, as Blake Snell could learn from him, he's <laughs> terrific. Darvish as your number three starter, so and Tatis, we think he's coming back. He just had a medical, scan, right? right, right. Yeah. And we think he's going to be back sometime in early July. That will be huge for them. They basically have been carried by Machado and, to a degree, Hosmer and a couple of the other guys pitching in. But I'm worried about the Dodgers. Bueller being out for up to two months, that hurts them. Obviously, Kershaw, a little bit of a question mark. If he pitches, he's always great. If he does, Gonsolin has been good. Urias has been good. Somebody told me you can... You know, we talked about that Dodger lineup as being one of the greatest all time. Somebody said to me, you can pitch to that Dodger lineup. They're a little top heavy right now. Betts and Freeman, 
I happen to like all the other players in there, but, you know, Bellinger isn't what he was. The other player, Turner, is not, speaking of Justin, not Trey, the guy walked at one and two. Obviously, he's very good. I throw him in there with Betts and Freeman. Obviously, the top three really good with with the Dodgers. And after that, there's a bit of a drop-off right now. Bellinger is not the MVP guy that he was. Justin Turner, not the same guy. People feel that they can pitch be pitched to a little bit more than they thought at the beginning of the year anyway. The amazing thing is they actually lead the major leagues in runs per game. And yet, cryptically, over the weekend, their manager, Dave Roberts, yeah. talked about being disappointed, calling some of his players selfish. I try to dig into it a little. And I do think you hit on it, John. I think that they have a sandwich problem. I think they're very comfortable one, two, three. And I think they're very comfortable kind of the bottom of the lineup with Taylor and Lux. This is about the middle. This is about Justin Turner at 37. Is he finally fading? Will Smith's a catcher. You know, I think he's one of the best offensive catchers, but he hasn't hit as he has in the past. It's a wearing position. What's going on there? Max Muncy, we've mentioned a couple of times in this, has been, was a, just a godsend for them out of no place and has been a tremendous hitter. Now, I would suspect at least one or two or maybe all three of those guys will eventually hit. And if they do, they're on the team again that has the number one yeah. run-scoring offense in the sport. But I think part of it is the inconsistency. Remember, you know, something I would say, I learned a little from John Heyman to think about it because it's math, is if you score eight runs and two runs, you're averaging five. But you probably won one game and lost one game. Whereas if you score five and five, you got a good chance to win both. And I think the Dodger offense has been inconsistent, and I think it's because of the middle of the sandwich. Yeah, I mean, offense is down a little bit everywhere. I mean, we, we don't see that with the Yankees, who have 98 home runs, and... You know, the the ball being deadened a little bit affects other Don't look teams. dead recently. No, it's getting it's <laughs> it's certainly getting better, and uh, it does not affect the Yankees though. I mean, obviously, Stanton hits the ball f- further than anybody in the sport, farther than anybody in the sport, and Judge is right behind him. Uh, I think that might be affecting somebody like Will Smith, who's si- sitting there squatting the whole game, and his home runs were 400 feet, and now those 400 feet might be 390 or 380. Turner, I think, obviously, 37 years old. They're obviously not quite what they were cracked up to be, even if they are leading in runs at the moment. And, you know, the Padres are coming. I know you don't like the Padres as much as I do, but uh, the pitching is a big deal. There aren't a lot of – we talked about the Yankee rotation, five guys. The Padres have more than five guys who they can throw out there. There aren't teams like that. The Dodgers have good pitching, but – Bueller's injury hurts. I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in the game. To lose yeah. him for two months, that hurts. And there's no guarantee they win that division at this point. No, I like San Diego. I think they have the second most talent to the Dodgers in the whole league. You know, I think what the Dodgers are probably hoping for is similar to something the Mets are hoping for, holding on while Scherzer and DeGrom are gone, are hoping that Bueller and Dustin May, who had Tommy John surgery, they get them both back in August and then make a strong run at the end. John, I'm going to combine the two teams as a little teaser for what's coming next and give you a little something from my notebook that combines the Yankees and the Dodgers, which is that Dellen Batanzas, who had shoulder surgery not too long ago, and we wonder where he was. You know, the Dodgers signed him to a minor league contract. He's been working in their minor league complex. They're hoping that maybe in about two weeks he makes it to AAA and they get a good feel for whether he'll be someone they'll be able to call up and use this year. Let's call that the appetizer because coming up next, John and I are going to open up our notebooks.
John, why don't we throw open our notebooks? What do you, what do you got for us? Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Francisco Alvarez, the Mets' top prospect. Uh, I mentioned on Twitter uh, yesterday that the Mets hadn't ruled out calling him up at some point. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a likelihood. He is only 20 years old. They have a veteran staff. Not going to be easy, but uh, this is easily their best prospect. They've held him out of every trade wisely. Uh, done a good job with that over the last month at AA as a 1,000 OPS. Pretty darn good for a catcher. People see him as power potential is huge. Uh, obviously, the Mets catching from an offensive standpoint hasn't been spectacular. Nito's gotten some big hits, but overall not spectacular. McCann is the guy that they expected to be good, uh, signed for $40 million. And uh, the pitching has actually gone down a little bit uh, with McC- after McCann's injury. The handmade bone uh, was a 3.20 ERA with McCann, 4.57 since. Obviously, Scherzer's injury might skew those numbers a bit, but uh, they could be looking at catching come the deadline, or they could be looking at the minor leagues at AA. They have quite a talented but very young player in Francisco Alvarez. Yeah, let, let's stick with that very young. Gre- Greg Joyce, our uh, talented young colleague, went and talked to Alvarez, Francisco Alvarez, and there's a story in the New York Post that everyone should go read it. It's really well done. And so I dove into him a little bit, and I will say this. It's his age 20 season. The catchers who play at age 20 a lot are Hall of Fame level guys. It's the Johnny Benches. It's the Ted Simmons. It's Joe Torre, believe it or not. And in the expansion era, since 1977, the only guy to play more than 20 games at catcher is Pudge Rodriguez at 20, right? So that is asking a lot, especially in a game strategy time. So I think the key thing is the National League has a DH. If the Mets think that he can help them bat-wise, I could see them bringing him up and then maybe catching him once or twice a week keeping Nito and McCann as the strong defensive catchers and just see if they could work him in and get like spoonfuls of this for next year. I'm glad you brought that up. I do think, first of all, all those guys you mentioned are Hall of Famers. Joe Torre now as a manager, the other three. But he was an exceptional player. He was an outstanding mm-hmm. player. What are you, 363 one year? Yeah, won the MVP. Fantastic. So great player. But I'm glad you mentioned that about the Mets. They're up there in runs, too. You talked about the Dodgers. The Mets are way up there. They've hit in the clutch, which is something we've complained about the Mets forever. They've really but not hit a lot the clutch. of power. Yes. That's what I'm wondering about. Will they look to get a hitter? But do you think Alva, again, it's putting a lot on him. But he, again, in Greg Joyce's yeah. story, he references Guerrero, Tatis. Yeah. Other young players who have come up at he age 20, yeah. is he, do they, and, and should they go ahead and take that leap soon before the August 2nd, give themselves some time before the August 2nd trade deadline to see if he can actually handle the bat up here? Yeah, let's let's call up the AAA first. That's one thing that was mentioned to me by a Mets person when I asked, could he be called up to the majors? Let's see him at AAA first, see how he does before we even really think about that seriously, but they haven't ruled it out. They could go the route of just trading for a bat. There will be a couple guys out there. It's not going to be like last year where you've got stars out there like Turner and Bryant and Rizzo out there. We don't think at this point, right? I mean, my trade bait power rankings that I run every <laughs> Friday, you know, ben, Benintendi is up I there. I keep telling you it's the Andrew Benintendi yeah, sweepstakes every week and you scoff at me. I know. Josh Bell has been up there because we, yeah. we've ruled out, we ruled out Juan Soto on the show and yeah. it looks like that's probably right. So if he's not being traded... 
Josh Bell's hitting around 300. Possibly they could trade for him. Somebody like that. I wonder, would they trade for a guy who plays first? I don't think they can do that, though. They'd have to put him at DH, right? Yeah. Because Alonzo, he does not like the idea of being a DH. He does right? not. He does not like that. When I mentioned this before. When I mentioned offhandedly, boy, you're really hitting great as a DH. He did not like that. He well, thought that it, was an it, insult, and it was probably a dumb thing for me to say. Look, you know, if you think about it, if you're him or his agent, you don't want to limit him to DH. He's, you know, begun his arbitration period. He's had to free agency in a few years. You're worth a lot more as a player at first but he days. genuinely likes playing the yes, field. There's and no he's doubt about hard it. At yes, it. Yeah, I yes. Mean, right. And you've yeah. mentioned that to me. Yeah. He has worked hard yes. at it. He's I a hard worker. It. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. You mentioned going to AAA. I'm going to open up my notebook and point out that a month ago, less than a month ago, Matt Carpenter asked for and the Rangers agreed to release him from his AAA contract. By the way, he was living across the street at the La Quinta Inn at that point. Just think about the guy who's become a Yankee star recently. Jake Brown's home yeah. away from yes. home, right? Yes. <laughs> La Quinta. We- our, our terrific producer. Producer Jake Brown. Uh, so <laughs> the Yankees had been interested in Carpenter in the yeah. offseason. He has a profile they like through the years, which is left-handed, gets the ball in the air and pulls. And they had done some digging on the work he had done with his swing in the offseason and liked some of the changes he made. His agent began to reach out to teams after he's released from the contract. The Yankees called before he reached out to them which, again, showed their seriousness. The problem was that teams were allowed, it was supposed to be through May 29th where you could keep 14 pitchers. It's been moved back a lot. And a bunch of teams had told his agent, hey, you know, when we go to 13, I think we might have room because he didn't want to go back to the minor leagues. He was playing, he picked the Rangers because it was two hours from Fort Worth where he lives. He didn't want to go back to AAA. Talk about a well-timed injury the Yankees didn't want. Giancarlo Stanton gets hurt and now the Yankees can offer him a major league contract right away before the May 29th deadline on the 26th. Remember, it gets moved again. And that's how he gets to the Yankees is by kind of happenstance that there's a May 29th deadline for 14 starting pitchers having to go to 13 and Giancarlo Stanton getting hurt. And suddenly Mike Fishman, their assistant general manager, calls again. I have a slot. I can send them right to Tampa Bay and he could play. And look, I don't know if this is flash in the pan or not, John. But you were at the game Sunday, right? That's a seven RBI game, three extra base hits, two homers. I think he's got six homers and about 30 plate appearances. He's forcing his way not only onto a major league roster, but into major league playing time with the team with the best record. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was tearing it up at AAA and good for the Yankees because Boston was after him. Boston and Atlanta have been two of the teams that have been trying to get him. He loved the idea of the Yankees. He's also a great guy. I don't know how well you know him. I've covered him a bit in the playoffs with St. Louis. Terrific guy for the clubhouse and great for that ballpark. Like I said, they've been great getting these guys player personnel on a shoestring. As I've said before, Brian Cashman is the best small market GM in baseball. He gets all these guys for nothing. Cortez and Trevino. Clay Carpenter, Holmes. Clay Holmes has been terrific. I know Pittsburgh keeps giving him away. We won't bash on them again. But uh, I think Carpenter, did. I did, I know. <laughs> Carpenter, great pickup. Good for the Yankees. And that's part of the reason why they are the best team at this point. Better than the Dodgers. Yeah, uh, we'll see if that continues. Again, we talked about Chicago, Chicago. It's been a kind of a New York state of mind for baseball this season. John, we'll come back and wrap it up, set up uh, the, the weekend, what we like. We'll get back to you right after this. 
Thanks for listening to episode five of the show, our new baseball podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz, our terrific producer engineers. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and write in a nice review on Apple in particular. You can follow us on Twitter. He's easy, at John Heyman. I'm a little more difficult as usual, at Joel Sherman 1, the number one. John, what are you looking forward to between now and when we next meet? Yeah, I'm going to say Cardinals at Red Sox uh, series. Both teams kind of on the cusp of the playoffs right now. Cardinals tied for first, but that Central has not been good. I think only one team may get in from the Central, them or Milwaukee. So big series for St. Louis. Boston obviously has been much better in the last couple weeks. They look like a playoff team, though no guarantees. I do think the American League's a little bit easier to to get in there, so I like their chances. Uh, it's also for me, not for you, Joel, because you're a young man. Rematch of the 1967 World Series, The Impossible Dream. You didn't see that World Series. You were just a little toddler, but uh, that's the first Maybe World I was Series on my dad's I recall. Knee, listening on the old AM-FM, right? Remember that? Dialing <laughs> up a phone. Terrific. John, what I'm looking at is the Atlanta Braves, who, as we're speaking, have won 12 games in a row but did lose their terrific young shortstop, Ozzie Albies, to a broken foot on Monday night. How does that continue? They're in an interesting period. They've been gaining ground on the Mets, and they're in the midst of a series against Washington, and they got the Cubs over the weekend. These are two of the three worst teams in the National League. Do the Braves keep it going and keep putting some pressure on the first place New York Mets? We'll probably be talking about that next Tuesday. Listen to us every Tuesday on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.